Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. How are y'all doing today after the long weekend, after the holiday Monday that we just had? Hopefully you feel fresh, recharged, and ready to go for the short week upon us for those that typically work Monday through Friday. Hopefully you were able to enjoy Monday off. It was gorgeous yesterday. So those that did have the day off, hopefully you were able to go out and really capitalize on the summer-esque weather that we just had. It was gorgeous. It's going to be gorgeous all week this week. I think there's one day of rain, maybe like Thursday, I think it is. But that's besides the point. It is fantastic outside. I thought about turning the AC on, but I have the windows open right now and I'm pretty comfortable. So I'm not going to complain there at all. Hopefully... Hopefully, hopefully, we have a great week planned here at the shop, on the podcast, obviously with today's episode and then Fridays, but hopefully you have great plans this week. Obviously, like I said, being the short week, maybe you're able to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit more recharge while you're at work, whatever the case may be, hopefully, hopefully things go according to plan for everybody because yesterday's game did not go according to plan for the Red Sox. And I know I've countless times said that I'm not going to talk about the Red Sox past like two, maybe three weeks at this point. But ever since I, I think I'm going to say two weeks, but ever since I opened the shop up, Murph's Card Town Sports Shop, I have people coming in and there's still people are taking my podcast business cards that I still have laying around. I have like a handful left and I put them out at the shop and I, I see people taking them. So I'm assuming I'm having new listeners, which is awesome. Very humbling. And thank you if you are. Welcome to the podcast. I talk literally about Boston sports and major league wide topics and a bunch of random other stuff too, such as the weather. You know, it feels like I'm a weatherman every friggin' episode because I always talk about it. I, I don't know why. I just, I, I hate the cold weather. So whenever it's nice and nice outside, I like to talk about it. But anyways, I just kind of want to recap why I don't talk about the Red Sox anymore. And a lot of people may know if they're longtime listeners they'll know that I did something very similar to the Celtics during their season. It was like earlier in the season, they fell to 14 and 17, something like that. I don't know. They were like three, four games below 500, I think it was. And I was like, I'm not going to talk about the Red Sox. I'm not, sorry. I'm not going to talk about the Celtics. This team stinks. They started off so hot. The play is terrible. It's just, why should I invest my time when they don't invest their time, play hard, yada, yada, yada. So I vowed to not talk about the Celtics unless they went on a four-game winning streak or became 
two games over 500 was. It took them about like two, three weeks, whatever, to do it. And then I started to talk about the Celtics again. I'm in a similar boat with the Red Sox. Okay. They were flying high the first three and a half months of the year. First place, best record this. Big lead in the division outside of the Rays kind of breathing down your neck. It's just, oh, things are so great. Then the trade line comes and goes, and you barely do anything. And then the play kind of falls apart. You lose. You lose. You lose. The pitching, the injuries, COVID situation, obviously. It's just like, ah. So when the Red Sox dropped to, like, what was it, nine games under 500 it was. They were in third place. They were, like, barely holding on to the second wild card spot. I was like, I'm done talking about this team because similar to the Celtics, why should I invest my time, energy, and effort into talking about you, the Boston Red Sox, if at the trade deadline you aren't going to invest your time, money, effort, resources, prospects into giving the current major league team at the time what they needed to make a big push. Look at the Yankees. They got Gallo and Rizzo. The Rays, they got Nelson Cruz. The White Sox, they got uh, Craig Kimbrell, I believe. It's just like, and there's so many other moves. I mean, the Mets got uh, Javi Baez. The the Phillies got um, Kyle Gibson. It's just, there's so many moves that happen throughout the league. And the Red Sox got Kyle Schwarber, who at the time was injured but had a fantastic June. And in the grand scheme of things, wasn't a bad pickup because a left-handed power bat, versatile in the outfield, you know, in terms of the corners, obviously he can play DH. But they tell us he's going to be a first baseman. You're literally trading for a first baseman who's never played first base in their life. So they tell us that. They don't go out and get any pitching besides Hansel Robles and Austin Davis, who... Robles, I, I forget. I don't even know what they traded for. Probably some bum. And then Austin Davis they got in return for Michael Chavis. But they don't get up, get any starting pitching, which was relatively low on my list of things to get because you had Chris Sale coming back. You had Tanner Houck. And Chris Sale overall has been very good. But just do not tell us that he's your trade line acquisition. He's your big pitching arm that you're hypothetically trading for since he's coming back from injury because pitchers coming back from any major injury, let alone Tommy John, are not guaranteed to be the stud aces that they were before. So don't give us that. And now Tanner Hulk is going up and down between AAA and the major league, so don't give us that. And all of that, all of that piled up. Plus, now you're third in the division. Like I said, the Yankees are well in front of you. The Rays are running away with the division. The team is COVID-riddled, unfortunately. You have have guys I've never heard of before. Taylor Totter, whatever. Um, Jacob or Jake Lopez. Who? Who are these guys? And now you got Bogarts. You got like 10 guys on the COVID list. Bogarts, Pavetta. Uh, I don't. I couldn't even tell you honestly. I mean, I'm sure there's more. I mean, there's ten guys. I just don't know them. But ten guys is ten guys. So I vowed. Uh, it was like the middle of August, so a couple weeks ago, to not talk about the Red Sox. They had a walk-off grand slam here. They had a comeback uh, win there. 
they won, I think, four in a row here and there. And, like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to fall for it. <clears throat> and yesterday, yesterday's game was a perfect example. Now, I'm not going to break down the game like I have before. Or I'm not going to break down the set of games like I have before. I'm not going to give you a, an outlook of what's to come like I have before. But I want to talk about one play in that in yesterday's game that sums up the season pretty much, right? And that's it was the bottom of the third inning, I believe it was. You're up 7-1. to one. Chris Sale's on the mound, giving up a few hits, but just needs one more out to get out of the inning. I, I think it was Nelson Cruz up at the plate, hits a fly ball to center field. Now, in baseball, fielding a fly ball isn't all that simple. It's relatively challenging. The ball can move, the wind can shake it, whatever. Plus, you have to battle the sun. And Alex Verdugo was battling the sun so bad to catch this ball. And you go, he has the glove up to block the sun. He's got the shades on, the cap and everything. He's doing everything he can. And he drops the ball. It was just like, you know, an extra foot to his left, and it's just so hard to pick up because of the sun. And you know what? I'm not going to bash Verdugo for dropping this fly ball because that literally could have been anybody. It could have been Renfro, J.D. Martinez, Jaron Duran, Kyle Schwarber. They could have put out you or I out there, and we're all going to drop that ball. So I'm not going to sit here and bash Alex Verdugo for dropping that ball because literally anybody could have dropped that ball. And they would be in the same exact position. And that dude felt bad enough that he dropped it because the three runs scored. Nelson Cruz got to third. And then Taylor Trotter, Totter, Toddler, I don't know his last name, got the ball from, I believe Verdugo did throw it back in. And he threw it into the third base stands, like, you know, the stands by the third base dugout. And Nelson Cruz scores. So all four runs score. Now it's 7-5. And it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. You're one out away from getting out of this inning to potentially killing the Rays in any terms of a comeback because it'd be 7-1 to one going to the bottom of the third inning. Ultimately, the Red Sox would go on to lose in extra innings, in 10 innings, 11-10. to 10. They went 9-9. Rays got two runs. Red Sox would only get one back. <sighs> the epitome of the Red Sox season yesterday. 7-1, you're doing great, you're feeling great, you got a lead, you know, you're feeling good in the early couple innings, little diversity, but you're so close to getting out of it, two outs, all you need is a ground ball, fly ball, strikeout, whatever it may be, and you get your fly ball, feeling good, like, oh, we're just going to catch it, we're going to catch it, and then you drop it, and a few runs score, okay, that's fine, we can deal with that, and then the ball gets thrown away into the stands, and then the next run scores, and that's basically the knockout punch. But if you think it gets any worse, how about, yeah, the game gets tied. And it's like, all right, you know what, listen, we can still do this, guys. I mean, we lost the lead. We're not playing our best. We know that, but we're scoring some runs, so let's keep going. Then the bullpen blows it, which I thought was a strong suit early in the season, which I thought was a strong suit for the Red Sox. Nope. Nope. They're weak and brittle, and they suck. <laughs> and they just suck. Bullpen blows it, and then you lose 11 to 10 in extra innings. The epitome of the season. So, 
that was a little recap of yesterday's game right there. I know I'm not talking about the Red Sox, but I, I kind of had to to kind of emphasize my point a little bit. And I really hope that the new listeners from Murph's Boston Sports Talk can understand why I'm not talking about the Red Sox. If you've watched the Red Sox, congratulations, because I can't. I cannot watch them. And if you're watching the Red Sox and want me to talk about the Red Sox, I want to so bad. I want to talk about this team so bad. And I'm going to pull up the standings for one second. They are nine games out of the division. They're half a game up, I believe, for the second wildcard spot. No, they're half a game back behind the Yankees for the first wildcard spot. And then like a couple games up in the, for the second wildcard spot. But you're nine games out of first place. You could have been seven games out of first place if you won. And you would have been ahead of the Yankees by a whole game and a half. All you had to do is win. All you had to do is win. You were in a perfect position. And this is the exact reason why I cannot watch this team. They're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. And I know they have 10 COVID players. I understand that. But if you executed at the trade deadline, and I always refer to Anthony Rizzo because he's just the best example, and he would really have friggin' fit this team so perfect. You bring in Anthony Rizzo. You bring in a you know, a third starter or so, right? And then maybe if you want to bring in Hansel Robles, fine, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I just don't think you'd be nine games out of first place. If you did all those moves, you'd probably maybe I'm not gonna discredit the Rays for what they're doing. I'm not gonna say, oh, the Rays would be in third place or you know, they wouldn't be in first. I mean, that's so hard to tell. They're seven and three in their last ten games, respectively. So you're probably like one or two games out of first place if you just appropriately executed what your team needed at the trade deadline. And that is what's so furiating to me is that you had the opportunity to make your team better. I even laid out the groundwork for an Anthony Rizzo trade. The Yankees gave up their 12th and 15th best prospect in their farm system for Anthony Rizzo. However, they do not have to pay any of his salary this year because they gave up more or I should say better rated prospects i'm thinking like hmm okay red sox maybe can give up their 15th and 18th prospect and pay half i know they're very uh money savvy or they're money focused because they're cheap in a lot of ways but if they were willing to take on the rest of his contract which i don't think was much i think it was only like a few million dollars a few million dollars right not much Let's see. Let's just look up Anthony Rizzo's Anthony Rizzo salary. Uh, I guess Yankees. Sure. Oh, wait. Oh, that's in 2011. Um, let's look up his contract because I know it's not much because I know it's not much because we're more than halfway through the season right now. So this year he's making uh, payroll $16.5 million. He's making $16.5 million. So cut that in half. That's 8.25. So just cut off the uh, the two, 0.25 because it's like a little more than half. So $8 million. You are telling me you can't pay $4 million and give up your 15th and 18th best prospect or something similar to that or close to that, 16 and 19, you know, 15 and 17. I don't know what the Cubs would have wanted. Or you're also telling me that you couldn't have given up your 20th best prospect, your 18th and 20th best prospect, just to pay $8 million of Anthony Rizzo. Now, I know I'm speculating here, and these are just me kind of throwing, you know, rated prospects and just some random numbers at you. But you get my point, though. 
the Yankees gave up more rated prospects, highly rated prospects, so they do not have to pay a dime for Anthony Rizzo. If the Red Sox don't want to give up the prospects, then just pay the guy. Don't Well, don't have the Cubs pay him. If you want to give up the prospects and you don't want to pay him, then do what the Yankees did. Oh, it's just so infuriating. And it's just, I, I can't do it. I mean, they're 79 and 61. The Red Sox are still obviously in contention for the wild card. The division's well gone now. And you could have been seven games back. You have a game today and tomorrow. It's like, okay, you can chop it down to five. And, you know, you chop it down to five. And then you got, you know, the White Sox, the Mariners coming up. It's going to be tough. I mean, this is it against the Rays right here is this series. This is it against the Rays. Uh, it's just so upsetting. And everything considered is why I cannot talk about the Red Sox anymore until I see significant improvements in terms of the play, significant ground gained in the division, or a significant lead, at least in the wild card. But until that, I, I just, I can't, I cannot, I will not until then. So I'm sorry if you want me to talk about the Red Sox. And I do. Like I said, I really, really do. I just can't. I, I, I cannot do it. It pains me because I love the Red Sox. I love baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport out of the, the four major sports. And it pains me to not talk about the team that I know and love in the Boston Red Sox. But enough with that. We have a lot of Patriots stuff to talk about or football stuff in general, I should say. And... This is this 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 is gonna be tough to talk about. Y'all remember Super Bowl Fifty Two? Yeah, that one. The the Patriots lost to the Eagles. You remember that? Okay, well, it was a high scoring game, very exciting game. If you're not a fan of the Eagles or the Patriots, because all Eagles and Patriots fans were stressed out of their mind. So let's count. Let's not include those fans. And if you're just an NFL fan watching the Super Bowl from the outside in, must have been a great game. High-scoring game, a lot of offense, no defense, completely opposite than what Super Bowl 53 was, which, by the way, I think was a great game. I know I'm in the minority on that, but that's besides the point. An article came out today, literally this morning, 826, by Henry McKenna of PatriotsWire.USA.com. And it's titled, James Harrison Dispels Bullshit Rumors on Why Patriots Benched Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. Now, in this article, uh, what was it? James Harrison was on a podcast, whatever. So, obviously, on most podcasts, there's no swearing. So, wherever he swears in his quotes, it's like expletive, like, you know, parentheses expletive because it's, you know, they're cutting out the swear. I, I'm only going to assume what he's saying just based off of the context. So, I'll do my best. And if I can't figure it out, then I'll say expletive, right? <laughs> Anyways, before I go into this article, the whole Malcolm Butler situation is mind-boggling. It's just Malcolm Butler doesn't even know why he was benched. He says that he wasn't out partying, missed meetings, missed his curfew, which a lot of rumors are kind of well pointed to him at that time. Only Bill Belichick knows why, and he won't even answer why, which is beyond infuriating. It's just... I've done some coaching in my in my past. I've coached baseball. I've coached basketball, soccer. I just don't 
understand if you're in the biggest game of the season, maybe not the biggest game of his life because Bill Belichick's been to ample Super Bowls. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime for a lot of people. Now, I know the Patriots at that time, you know, they won the Seahawks Super Bowl. They made it to the AFC Championship against the Broncos. They beat the Falcons. They, uh, they yeah, they beat the Falcons in 51. They got to the Super Bowl in 52. They won the Super Bowl in 53. So, I mean, those five years, and I mean, you can even look to the AFC Championship appearances before that, you know, in, uh, um, why am I blanking? My goodness, in 13 and 12, and obviously in the Super Bowl in 11. So it's like they played almost 10 years of deep playoff runs. And a lot of those players, like, you know, maybe like a Devin McCourty or a Tom Brady, this may not be the biggest games of your life because you've been there a few times. But, like, you know, certain players, roster bubble players, players that aren't coming back, young guys, they don't know that. This is the biggest game of their life. They're willing to do anything and everything to put their team in the best position to win. Every player, every coach, except Bill Belichick. So I will forever hold a grudge against him for putting whatever and um, – Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever, not endeavor. Um, I can't think of the word, but putting whatever grudge or whatever he has against Malcolm Butler aside to just throw him out there to guard Nelson Aguilar, to guard Alshon Jeffrey, to friggin' slow this team down because that offense was just ripping your defense apart. Anyways, let me go into the article. Henry McKenna. Written by Henry McKenna. Malcolm Butler's tears are forever a part of the Super Bowl lore. If Butler had played or even if the New England Patriots had won, no one would remember his outburst on the sideline where he cried before playing just one snap on special teams in the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think, if I remember correctly, he was crying during the national anthem too. I think. I don't know if it was just like, you know, emotional tears like, oh, you know, America, love America. Oh, so blessed to be here. You know, those kind of tears, right? Because I, I do remember him crying during the game, but I also want to say he was crying before the game, which is not you know uncommon. A lot of players will cry before the game. Um, Butler's benching remains a mystery. Even years removed, former Patriots linebacker James Harrison said he had, quote, no clue why Butler didn't play. Quote, I think that they just actually thought that he just didn't have it. Harrison, who is starring in Star's Heels, said by phone on Friday, quote, I think that was a part of the process. All the stuff that came out. Oh, he was out there doing this. He was doing that. That's a crock of shit. That's not true. Was cornerback Eric Rowe, who stood in for Butler, the better matchup for the Eagles receivers? Quote, I don't even know about a matchup, said Harrison, who started for the Patriots in Super Bowl 52 and played 91% of the defensive snaps. Quote, I just think they thought Butler wasn't up to the task. I don't know. But I know for sure that all that stuff that was coming out about curfew and all that other shit, that's a crock of shit. Quote, it's just not even close to true because that, like, I don't even know what happens if you're late to a meeting. I've never seen a guy late to a meeting in New England. So for wild allegations of it's this, it's that, and you have not one ounce of shit proof, exploitive proof, I'm assuming. Come on, man. You, you'll... Come on, man. You all need to stop making up stories to sell papers and get clicks or whatever. It's just bull, end quote. There was speculation which went unsustained. Unsustained? That's a good word. I don't know. That Butler might have missed meetings or missed curfew in Minnesota ahead of the game. Butler openly denied those rumors. Even 
he has said he doesn't know why he didn't play. Bill Belichick apparently is going to hold that secret forever. I think it's unfair. I honestly think it's unfair to hold that secret forever. Now, I don't know what grudge you have. I don't know what the reason is. No one will ever know. Only Bill Belichick knows. I wonder if his wife even knows. Do you think she knows? I mean, I feel like, you know, couples tell each other things all the time, right? It's top secret, dark secrets of your life, um, you know, some really secretive things, right? I mean, you only tell your your, your partner. I bet she doesn't even know. I, I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I bet she doesn't even know. And you know what? I'm not surprised because Bill Belichick, why would he tell her? Bill Belichick's not an open guy. I mean, do you think they sit, you know, on their Nantucket beach house sipping some margaritas or Mai Tais or, or sex on the beaches and, you know, have honest hour or, you know, just get emotional. I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Sorry, I don't see it. So listen, I tell Kim, who's going to be my wife, in 11 days, a lot of things. If someone tells me, hey, don't tell anybody, like if a friend was to come up to me and say, don't tell anybody, I'm not going to tell anybody. That's just the kind of guy I am. I keep secrets for you. Now, obviously, if you tell me, you know, you're going to do something terrible or you're going to hurt yourself, I, I, I have to tell somebody because you or someone's life is at risk. I mean, that's just the counseling in me, right? For those that don't know, I was a counseling, I was a psychology degree in undergrad and I got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So that background is very strong, although I am opening a card shop or opened a card shop. I got to get used to saying that. Anyways. So just the, the counseling nature in me will not let someone go and like, oh, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, I will tell someone then. But if you're, you know, you did something bad or something or like, you know, you, you feel guilty of doing something that's not life threatening or going to put someone's life at risk, I won't tell anybody. I don't know. Say, you, say, you know cheated on a test or whatever, or you, you stole a candy bar by accident, right? I mean, it happens. It, it happens. Um, you, you have, I don't, I don't know. You, you, you hit a, a, a squirrel and you just kind of kept driving. I'm not going to tell anybody if, if it really means that much to you and you're not going to, you don't want anyone to know. So and I'm sure there's other couples. If you, I mean, if you're listening, if you're in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever, and you're listening, I'm sure you know something similar or feel something similar. Like, Hey, if, if my, you know, my boyfriend or my girlfriend comes up to me and says, oh, hey, don't tell anybody this, but, you know, da-da-da-da-da, you're not going to tell anybody because you trust that person. They trust you. That's just kind of how it goes. Do you see Bill Belichick having that? I just don't see it. I, I really don't see it. I, just, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't see it. And if anyone's been in a relationship listening to this or if you're in a current relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You and your partner have things that only you two know or you two talk about behind your closed doors and that is okay i don't need to know no one needs to know that is up to your discretion to talk amongst yourselves or to tell other people but when it comes to malcolm butler and bill belichick i bet his wife doesn't even friggin know why he didn't play him it's just mind-boggling it's it just it's it's absolutely crazy I, I do we do we think we'll ever find out why Bill Belichick retires? You know he's in the Hall of Fame now. He uh, 
two years after he gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, right? Sits down. Hey, Bill, remember 15 years ago, Super Bowl 52? I mean, you, you kind of shut it down, but why didn't you play Malcolm Butler? Do we think he'll tell us then? I hope, I hope it comes out at some point. I do. Because us Patriot fans, and probably Malcolm Butler, I'd say Malcolm Butler more than us Patriot fans, need closure. If it's honestly, if it's honestly because he wasn't a good matchup against Nelson Aguilar or Alshon Jeffrey, or what would they have, Casey Matthews at the time? I don't even know who the hell they had as their wide receivers at the time besides those two. Then fine. If Bill Belichick really deep down in his mind, his heart, his body, his soul, thought that Eric Rowe was a better defensive matchup against those Eagles receivers over Malcolm Butler, then I can live with that. As much as I disagree, as much of a great season Malcolm Butler had, and how much I really doubted Eric Rowe, you know, his time here in New England, I can live with that. But if it's because of a petty grudge that you have, for some odd reason, whatever that reason is, I can't live with that. And I think Malcolm Butler, out of everyone, deserves to know why he didn't play. If he truly doesn't know. I mean, he could say that he, he know, doesn't know and he actually might know. But if I, but I feel like he would tell us. Don't you think he would spill the beans on Bill Belichick? I mean, now that he's not in New England anymore? I mean, I certainly would. If I was Malcolm Butler, I was told that, hey, you suck for missing meetings or doing this or whatever because I don't like you. You're not playing. Good luck. Day, I mean, I probably wouldn't say it, you know, while I was still contractually binded to the team. But, you know, day one in uh, Tennessee when he probably asked, hey, do you know why you didn't play? I'm going to tell him, be like, hey, this is what he told me. So I, I, I signed with Tennessee, you know, right? Because that's where he went, right after New England. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. But I, I, I think Malcolm Butler, I think us as Patriots fans need to know why. And we'll never know. But I hope one day we do. So moving on, moving on to something small. I'm not going to get really into it, but um, obviously with Cam Newton gone now, number one is open, and Nikhil Harry is switching to number one, which I believe he wore during his days at Arizona State. He tweeted out a picture last night where it's you know jersey swap of him wearing the number one, and it says Uno with the two eyes, kind of like looking, right? And the little shh emoji. You know, finger and you know, finger over the lips. Shh, emoji. I don't know um, why he didn't take it when when we first drafted him in 2019. Because wide receivers, I won't, oh, I know, I know in Madden, wide receivers can be single digit numbers, but I don't think in the NFL, wide receivers could be single digit numbers. I know they could be like 10 to 19, then 80 to 89. I think that's it. At the time, but now obviously with the the new rule, you have running backs, wide receivers, linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks, all being literally freaking any number. It's I get it, good for the players being a little bit more happier with you know their number because I understand numbers are sacred. Number twelve was sacred to me when I played in high school, but I don't know. It just gets so confusing because I'm just so used to like okay, a safety is only twenty to forty, and then like cornerbacks are like you know the same. Linebackers are like, you know, 40 to 59. It's just, oh, it was so much more simple back then. 
But now with Cam Newton gone, number one is vacant. Nikhil Harry is going to switch from 15 to 1. And then Nelson Aguilar, who's been wearing 13 since his arrival, is going from 13 to 15. So a little bit of uh, jersey number movement. Not going to dive too much into him. Not even going to read the article. I just wanted to give you a heads up. So come week one, and you see number one running for a r- Actually, you know, Nikhil Harry won't even be out there. But when you see number 15 running for a route, you're going to say, isn't that Nikhil Harry? Isn't he injured? Nope. It's Nelson Aguilar. And then obviously, when number one is running some routes, you know, hopefully week four, you'll be like, oh, they bring Cam Newton back? Nope. Nikhil Harry. So just wanted to give you a little heads up about that. All right. So, so we have, ah, shut up. I hate when I randomly get ads from websites that I don't know where it's coming from. Like it's, it's actually like frustratingly annoying. All right. So I just muted it. Whatever. We have NFL league news to talk about. League news to talk about. Now, if anybody's anybody, you know that you can bet on things. You know that, you know, Kim and I did prop bets during a podcast one time before Super Bowl uh, 54 this past year. No, I'm sorry, 55 this past year. And it was like, oh, if you say Super Bowl, you got to take a sip. If you say Brady and Mahomes, you got to take a sip. It was fun stuff. I don't condone drinking. I don't condone betting. But sometimes every now and then we got to talk about sports betting. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. But I'm not going to be talking about like, oh, you know, they're plus this favorite or they're, you know, minus that. It's just I want to talk about who the sports book of Rhode Island has favored to win each of the divisions. And I want to talk about my thoughts, my opinions about said division winners. So obviously the first one, AFC East. The Bills are minus 155. The Patriots are plus 240. I don't care about the Jets or the Dolphins because they won't be winning it. I, I do think I do think the Bills will win. I do, I do. I think the Patriots will be close for a long time. Or they're going to get off to I, – I just don't see them getting off to a rough start. I don't, I don't. Besides that Buccaneers game, they should go 7-1. and one. They really should. Actually, they should go like 8-1. and one. Whenever they play the Browns at home, that should be their next loss. Should be. Things can change. So I feel like the Patriots might be the division leader for a good half of the season, maybe more. But I think once they get playing those, you know, more tougher teams such as the Bills, you know, they got like week 14 and 17 against them or, or whatever it may be. I feel like the Bills are going to get hot, the Patriots going to cool down, they're going to uh, the Patriots will get a few losses against, you know, some difficult difficult opponents and the Bills will kind of take the division with maybe like, you know, a month left in the season. That's my opinion. But I do believe the Patriots will be a wild card. Obviously, there's three spots. They should absolutely get a wild card with everything that they've done this year. Signed all these free agents. Uh, they brought in Mac Jones, Christian Barmore. You you have Dante Hightower back. You brought in the two best tight ends that were on the market. You brought in Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. It's just your offensive line was good last year, but it's revamped now. You have... Trent Brown at your right tackle now. He was your left tackle for 2019. He's now your right tackle this year because you have Isaiah Wynn. Michael Onwenu is taking a big step up this year. I just really like the Patriots a lot this year. I just don't know with the rookie quarterback how things are going to go with the wide receiver group. How is it going to look? Defense without Gilmore could be shaky. But 
Either way, they should still get a playoff spot, whether it is the division, which I don't think is likely, but I won't be surprised. But I think it's unlikely. But a wild card spot nonetheless. Do I see the Dolphins or the Jets coming out as another wild card team? Absolutely not. Moving on. AFC North. This is when it gets a little dicey. There's no clear cut favorite. The Baltimore Ravens are probably the favorite at plus 120, followed by the Browns at plus 145, Steelers plus 400, and then the Bengals aren't going to win the division, but plus 2,500. I like the Browns so much this year. I really do. I think losing J.K. Dobbins for the Ravens is a huge blow. It puts a lot more stress on Lamar Jackson to not only be a runner, but to actually be a passer. I just like the Browns. Their defense is really solid. Their offense, they have a ton of weapons. They were so close last year um, in, in beating the, the, the Chiefs. I mean, I don't want to say they're close because they lost by like three scores or whatever it was or two scores. But like they almost made a comeback. And I think with Odell coming back, another year of Baker, I like what I see from the Brown, uh, the Browns. I'm going to take them. Ravens would not be surprised in the, light, uh, the slightest if they win the division. But I will be surprised that the Browns lost it because I think it's their division to lose. So there's my thoughts about that. And then the Steelers, a lot of people don't like the Steelers this year in the division. I know a lot, uh, a lot of people that are Steelers fans do. I don't know. I just think the Browns and the Ravens are too good. What is another year of Ben Roethlisberger going to look like? Is that defense still top-notch like they have been in years past as of late? What about the offense? No James Conner. What is Najee Harris going to look like? The receiving group, Claypool, Juju, and Deontay Johnson, are they still going to you know play very well together? So I have the Steelers in the playoffs. I have, you know, all three I have those three teams, Browns, Ravens, and Steelers in the playoffs from the AFC North. But I I I don't know. It, I think early season. I mean, the Steelers are always always an interesting team. They'll either start off shitty and then they'll play well or they'll play well and then they'll kind of fall off, right? So, I think early season's really going to kind of determine it because I know the 17 extra game it gives you a little bit of a buffer, but when you're in a, such a tight division and I know the Bengals won't make the playoffs, and probably won't be, you know, flirting with the, the division at all. But I still think they're going to be a sneaky good team. I mean, they got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, another year T. Higgins. The defense is okay. I'm not going to give it too many props, but it's okay. I just think, you know, the Bengals could be like a, a sneaky 6-7 win team, which isn't crazy. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing great, but I don't know, 6-7 wins, you know. You know, you beat the Steelers or the Ravens a couple times or, you know, once maybe could shake up the division a little bit. Moving to the south, we have the Tennessee Titans, clear favorite at minus 135, followed by the Colts at plus 150. Jaguars won't make it. Texans won't make it at all. I like the tech, uh, the, the Titans a lot, obviously, because, you know, they just brought in Julio Jones. A lot of their offense is back. Defense is still very good. What about the Colts? Colts have a good defense themselves. They got Carson Wentz, who's uh, projected to play week one. I'd be very surprised if he does, but he's on track. I don't know. I don't know. I, I know the Titans will come out of that division. Colts, Steelers for that other wild card spot could be a toss-up. Because like I said, Steelers either play really good early and fall off, or they play really bad and then they just ball out. So like I said, that's why I think those first you know four, five, six weeks for the Steelers – going to be very important because if they suck and the Colts do good 
then the Colts will probably sneak in as that other wild card team, and the Steelers won't. Because I got no one in the AFC West winning uh, or earning a wild card spot. Obviously, the Chiefs will probably win the division. They're minus 320. And the Broncos and Chargers are plus 600. Those are the next two teams. And the Raiders, they're sneaky. I mean, they got sneaky good players. I just don't think they have what it takes to compete in that division. I see them being like a 5-6 win team as well. Broncos, 5-6 wins. The Chargers, I could see being like 7-8-9-10 maybe. But I just don't see them getting a wild card spot because, like I said, the Patriots will get one. The the uh, the second place of the North will get one, whether it's the Browns or the Ravens. Steelers could be sneaky again in that third spot. The Colts should make the playoffs. So it's going to be tough for the Chargers. But, I mean, if they can dance with the Steelers and the Colts, then I, I could totally see the Chargers getting in. But they're my least likely team to make it out of the potential playoff contenders in the AFC. Switching to the NFC now. No clear-cut favorite in the NFC East. Obviously, the Cowboys are plus 140. The football team is plus 220. The Giants are plus 350. And the Eagles are plus 500. So, obviously, the betting favorite would be the Dallas Cowboys. And I like the Cowboys this year. I really do. I've been watching Hard Knocks. It's nice to kind of get to know the team a little bit, see the personality side of Zeke, um, C.D. Lamb, Dak. Dexter Lawrence even, who's a tremendously nice guy, which I didn't know, but he's an awesome nice guy. I do like the Cowboys, if they're healthy. If they're healthy, which is going to be a major component. Zeke has missed time. Dak has missed time before Dexter Lawrence's uh, coming off back surgery, I believe it was. But, you know, they're all should be ready to go, green light, healthy for the season. And just like the Steelers, those first six weeks are going to be crucial for the Cowboys. It really is. They could start off five and one and finish the season thirteen and four, fourteen and three. They could start the season two and four and finish uh, seven and ten, eight and nine. Very possible. Very, uh, I don't want to say likely, but it's very possible for both the Steelers and the Cowboys. They're in similar boats. Start off the season bad, could go on a tear. Start the season good, could fall off a cliff. Washington football team. They won the division last year. I still like them. That defense is really good. They're so underrated, that defense. It's unbelievable. And they were one of the best defenses last year. Offense, they have more of a thrower in Ryan Fitzpatrick. They still got some good weapons. Terry McLaurin, they signed Curtis Samuel. They have J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson, obviously, out of the backfield. Logan Thompson, who I just found out is like 29, 30 years old. I thought he was like 24. (laughs) But I still think that team is going to be very good. They're going to be right in that division mix with the Cowboys. I don't see the Eagles or the Giants, unfortunately. Do I see one of them sneaking into the wild card? Still no. But I do think the loser of the division, the football team and the Cowboys, one of them will get a wild card spot. Moving to the NFC North division, Packers clear favorite, minus 160, followed by the Minnesota Vikings at plus 260. Lions just as bad as the Texans, just as bad as the uh, as the uh, the Jets. Could the Lions actually make a little bit of noise, win a few games, five games maybe? Sure, but that's really all I got them pegged for. Chicago Bears, if Andy Dalton's the guy, they might win a few games, but they're not going to go anywhere until Justin Fields is the guy, and that's when they'll really take off. But until then, I got the Bears out of the playoff picture. 
If they do decide to switch Justin Fields midseason, is it going to be too late for Justin Fields to lead that team to a potential wildcard spot? Could be. How short or long is Andy Dalton's leash in Chicago? Is it four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks? Till he gets injured, till he sucks, who knows? But, you know, I think the Bears and their playoff hopes will rely on Justin Fields and his playing time and how many games he's able to start. But Vikings, do I see them making the wild card? Mm. They'll be a uh, a cusp team. They'll be a bubble team for sure. I don't want to say yes. I don't want to say no. But uh, I don't feel good about them making the playoffs, but I don't feel good saying they won't. But like I said, the Packers will because they're division favorite. NFC South. This one's interesting. This one's really interesting to me. Obviously, the Buccaneers are fav- uh, the favorite, minus 210. I think everyone's picking the Bucks to win that division. Saints with Jameis, the starting quarterback, plus 300, followed by the Falcons at plus 900, and the Panthers plus 1,100. Now, why is this division interesting to me when it's not even going to be close? Well, Saints, they won the division last year with Drew Brees, and they had a relatively good offense. Now you have Jameis Winston as your starting quarterback who learned under Drew Brees for a year. He's taken over the reins down there. And you have Michael Thomas missing five, six, seven weeks or so of the season. But overall, that team is still okay. That defense is really solid. You have Kamara. Tracon Smith's a third-year receiver. Expected to take a big sh- uh, big step forward. Uh, they ha- oh, they, got- they have Jared Cook. It's just like, hmm. What is this team going to look like? So I think this team will either be playoff competitive or shit's just going to hit the fan and they're going to f- go 4 and 15 uh 4 and 15, Jesus. Uh 4 and 13. Falcons. I like the Falcons this year if their defense can figure it out. If their defense can play top 20 football, I think they'll be okay because you still have Matt Ryan who loves to throw the ball. You have Mike Davis, their new running back who's uh uh, a poor man's jack of all trades, right? But he's still very serviceable. You saw that last year with Carolina when McCaffrey was out. Calvin Ridley's now the number one guy. You have Kyle Pitts. You have Hayden Hurst still. You have Russell Gage. Uh, I forget his first name, but it was uh, Zemaikas or I don't know, the, the receiver with the, a weird last name. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I think, I really think that Kyle Pitts can have similar production that Calvin Ridley had when Ridley was the number two to Julio Jones. So when Julio Jones was there and Calvin Ridley was the number two, I can really see that production from Ridley as the number two with Julio there coming from Kyle Pitts being the number two to now the new number one in Calvin Ridley. I can see it happening. Kyle Pitts is a force of nature. And yes, it's a little hard for tight ends to kind of you know, come into the league and become stars. It's not that easy for them. But Kyle Pitts is a freak of nature athlete. He's crazy good um, receiving skills, route running skills, ball catching skills. Uh, I don't know about his blocking. Is he a good blocker? I want to say he is, but I don't want to be quoted on that. And just coming out of, you know, the line of scrimmage or throwing him in the slot on the outside, it's going to be a mismatch and nightmare for a lot of teams. Do you put a linebacker on him? Do you put a safety on him? Do you dedicate a cornerback to him? It's going to be difficult, and Matt Ryan loves to throw the ball, and he's going to throw the ball. So that's why the Falcons could be a sneaky team this year. But like I said, if the defense can play top 20 ball. And honestly, 
if they do and things go right in Atlanta, I could see them winning 9, 10 games, maybe making it to the playoffs. I really do. And then this brings us to our last team in the NFC West. There's no clear-cut favorite there besides the Rams being at plus 180, followed by the 49ers plus 205, Seahawks plus 280, and then the Cardinals at plus 560. In all honesty, I could see every single team from this West making the division. I'm uh, making oh, Jesus make, making the playoffs. Whoever wins the division, which is, I'm going to bet the Los Angeles Rams, which I think a lot of people are taking. I think that team is just the defense is phenomenal. Matt Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford. Now the quarterback there with Robert Woods, with Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby. You did have Cam Akers, but not anymore. Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle. That offensive line still really good. Oh my God, that team could easily win 14 games, 14 and three. That easily, I think, could do it. Easily be a menace in the playoffs. But when you have, I think, when you have the Bucks and the Packers and the Rams, very top heavy in terms of playoff contenders, and then just a bunch of muddling teams. But Rams probably going to win the division. 49ers. Defense is excellent. I just don't know how that offense is going to look. Not because of Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, but just, you know, they lost Kendrick Bourne. Is Debo Samuel going to uh, take a step up? Is Brandon Ayuk going to take a step up? What about the backfield? What is that going to look like? George Kittle, can he stay healthy? All things considered, I still think the 49ers are going to be a very good team. I don't think they're going to plummet and suck like they did last year. But... If they can get good quarterback play from either Jimmy Garoppolo, who is the starter for now, or Trey Lance, if he takes over, then they should no problem be uh, a division contender, but at minimum a playoff team. And the Seattle Seahawks, they have Russell Wilson. That defense is was technically bad last year, but I streamed them in fantasy, and they played fairly well at times. So I'm going to put them on a similar path as the Falcons. If the Seahawks defense can play top 20 ball, then the Seahawks should be playoff contenders. They should. You still have Russell Wilson, um, Gerald Everett's a new tight end out there. You still have DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett. That offensive line is solid. So it's like this team should contend. I don't see them contending for the division, but this team should still contend for a division. Uh, a, my God, I got to stop saying that. For a playoff spot. And then you look at the Arizona Cardinals who made a bunch of moves this year. They brought in veterans. They brought in uh, Malcolm Butler who retired. Or is on the reserve retired list for now. J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, James Conner. They made moves. They made moves. you got to respect that. I mean, whether you like the moves or not, whether you think A.J. Green's washed up or not, or whether you think J.J. Watt is washed up or not, you have to respect the fact that they made moves and they're trying. They're trying to put a contending team around Kyler Murray now while he's still fairly cheap and while you can afford these guys. Because once his rookie contract is up, he's going to want $45 million. Because that seems to be the going rate for um, second contract quarterbacks leaving their rookie contract. And a guy like Kyler Murray, who can run, he can throw, he can you know move in the pocket, he can make plays on his own, extend plays, he's going to want that Josh Allen, that Patrick Mahomes, that Deshaun Watson money. So could I see the Cardinals making it into the playoffs? I don't think they will. But I'm not going to be surprised if they're a sneaky good team, like a 9-8 and eight team, and sneak in because... I don't know about the Saints. Falcons uh, Falcons are a long shot. But like I said, I could see them happening. I could see it happening, but I don't think it will. 
The football team of the Cowboys, the loser of that division, should make the playoffs, but not guaranteed. I don't see anyone else coming out of the NFC North. Maybe the Vikings. So it really leaves all the wildcard spots up for grabs. And like I said, with three wildcard spots, I could see the losers, the losing teams of you know the division, so obviously teams not named the Rams, all winning a, uh, earning a spot in the wildcard. I really do. I don't think it's possible because I think the Cardinals are a long shot. If I was to bet on it, the loser of the NFC East, so either the football team or the Cowboys, will get a spot. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say the. I want to say Seahawks. I also want to say 49ers. I'm gonna say the Seahawks because they have a much more consistent and better quarterback play, and I think Russell Wilson can carry that team. And then that third spot is honestly the Vikings, the Saints, maybe the 49ers even. So that one's going to be kind of up in the grabs. But like I said, Cardinals, long shot. But if you know if they can get hot going, you know, Kyler going, they got Nuke, they got, um, who else do they have? Christian Kirk, Andy Isabel. Uh, who's their tight end? I don't even know who their tight end is anymore. Uh, Cardinals, tight end. Did they get a new guy? Who's the Cardinals tight end? Max Williams? Oh, I don't even know who he is. But, um, okay, whatever, sure. Max Williams. So, I don't know how it's going to go. But with the the fleet of veteran free agents, might be able to carry them throughout the season. Maybe kind of get that locker room's mind right to earn a playoff spot. But who knows? We'll have to wait and see. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, of course, week number one. Game number one. Of the 2021 NFL season. Sorry, I'm stretching and yawning at the same time. <laughs> Between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know, I just hyped you up for the Patriot-Dolphins matchup. But I'll talk more about that on Friday. Because I won't have time to talk about this game on Friday. Except for what happens in it. So I kind of want to give my initial thoughts. I think the Buccaneers will win. Alright. It's very uncommon for a defending champion to lose week one, game one, to start the season. Very unlikely. Cowboys have a lot of question marks. They do. They still do. As, you know, health, Dak Prescott's play, um, you know, the defense, offensive line, can that stay healthy, et cetera, et cetera. I think they'll, I don't want to say they'll get exploited, but I think late in the game, late third, fourth quarter, I think the Buccaneers will kind of take advantage of that defense. I think the Buccaneers' defense will step up you know, late in games cause, you know, the Cowboys to make mistakes. It's going to be like, it's going to be close. I feel first, maybe second quarter. It's going to be close, but it's not going, it's the game's going to run away. I think, you know, towards the late stages, you know, it could be like a three score game, but it's going to feel close, right? It could be like a 17 point game. Cowboys have the ball with like two and a half minutes to go, you know, crazy things have happened before, right? You know, kind of something like that. But early on, I'm expecting the offense to kind of have some wrinkles in it that both defenses are going to feel fresh, riled up, ready to go, want to make a statement, such like that. And offenses generally have a rough time getting going early in the season anyways for just about every team. So I'm expecting that through the first quarter or so. And then I think the Buccaneers will start to finally figure it out, kick it into gear a little bit. But you know what? I don't care how the game goes. I'm just excited to have actual, real, real 
regular season football where games actually matter. So I'm very excited for that. I cannot wait to break that down on Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, along with giving you a preview of the Patriots-Dolphins Week 1 matchup that will be on Sunday. So folks, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls all all over the world, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. Thank you so much for being understanding of why I had to postpone yesterday's episode to today, which I'm sure no one had a problem with, but I still have to give my gratitude and such. But that is going to wrap it up for today's episode, episode number 87, right? Yeah, 87, sorry. <laughs> I, I I saw a thing and it just didn't, it said 86, but that was because that was last episode. I haven't set up, you know, the editing and such for today's episode. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today for episode 87 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. I really appreciate every download, everyone that listens, and everyone that enjoys this podcast. It means a lot to me. Hopefully, you have thoughts, questions, comments, concerns that you can reach out to me with over social media at Murph's Card Town, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even. Reach out to me there. Happily, 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 wait, what? I will happily engage with you there. My goodness. I, I, oh, it's going to be a long day today. <laughs> it's going to be a long day. If you're listening on YouTube, please leave those thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, anything of the like down in the comments section below. And while you're down there, please hit the like button if you enjoyed today's episode as that would show great, great appreciation to the channel and it would really help out a lot. Also, while you're down there, please hit the big giant red subscribe button if you haven't already or haven't considered doing so. That would be greatly appreciative as well, and that would tremendously show support. Audio-only platform listeners, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, reach out to me, like I said, on social media. I'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, and of the like. Hopefully, you have a great week this week. I'm really looking forward to – it's not really a short week for me. I mean, I guess it is because I had Monday off, but a lot of people had Monday off as well. Short week. Have a great week. Enjoy the weekend because, yes, it feels like fall, and there's still some times throughout the day that it feels like summer with the heat, so enjoy every last second of it. But like I said, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. I will catch you on Friday for Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk where we talk about the Patriots-Dolphins matchup and also breaking down the Buccaneers and Cowboys game. But between now and then, You know that I love you. I hope. You know that I appreciate you. And you know that I will always, always see you. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.